0: Our first two readings today are really very easy to understand and actually very easy to explain as well. The first reading, don't take advantage of the poor. Pretty obvious. The second reading, pray for those who are in authority so that we may have peaceful lives. I think if anything is obvious, we need to pray for politicians so we'll have peaceful lives. Well, can I sit down now? Is that all there is to it? You can say, "Great, we'll get mass over early. I can get to the football game in Lions." But let's look at the gospel. We know that one reason that Jesus taught in parables, perhaps the main reason, is that it made difficult things easier to understand. But this one seems to have Jesus praising dishonesty, and we just know that that can't be true. That can't be right. We know that the scriptures cannot contradict themselves, and we especially know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, can neither contradict himself nor lead us astray. I imagine if this story was told today, it would be about a business executive who was living it up on the company credit card, going to three martini lunches and staying in the most expensive hotels. Or maybe nowadays it would be about a, a town clerk who was caught with their their hand in the till. Just look at the news. No town clerks here, right, today? Not you, if you're here. But Jesus is in no way condoning that sort of behavior. And really neither did the the manager in the story, the the master. I mean, he admired the steward's uh, prudence and his um, kind of his craftiness, but he still fired him. He had to go. And we need to know how business was done in those days. The steward would have earned his money by charging a handling fee, uh, an extra charge similar to interest on the debts that were owed to his master. And he would charge as much as he could get away with. Here's the Bible challenge of the day. Try to find a passage where moneylenders and tax collectors are spoken of favorably. There isn't one. Well, what we're warned about in the first reading is really what this steward was about, dishonesty. The Lord says, never will I forget a thing they have done. In the scriptures there are four sins that cry out to heaven for vengeance, and one of them is the oppression of the helpless poor, specifically of orphans and of widows. So this steward, when he hears that he's about to get canned, he gets an idea. He calls his master's lenders and basically drops the service charges, the extra fees. And the amounts may be exaggerations. Remember, this is a parable, not a retelling of an actual story. And these exaggerations exist in many parables in order to make a point. But you can imagine that the borrowers were greatly relieved because they were actually given the hope that they would eventually get out of this debt. And we read what the master says. The master commended that dishonest servant for acting prudently because there was no skin off his teeth. And I suspect that the master would have done the same thing. You know, thieves tend to like and admire each other. I used to see that all the time in the prison. The, the inmate who was really admired was the one who got over, who got away with something and was successful at it. And saddest of all were those times. They were not often, but they did happen, when the loyalty of my own men in the congregation was more to the gang than it would be to the faith. Now, we can't say that the Catholic men should uh, behave like a gang resorting to extortion and to violence, but they could emulate their loyalty, their unity, and their acceptance of each other. Likewise, Jesus is not saying we should be like the steward, but that we should admire the virtue of prudence that he had. The children of this world, the Lord says, are more prudent in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And he goes on to admonish us to be responsible in our use of material things, really to keep them in their place, to keep them in perspective. The person who is trustworthy in very small matters, Jesus says, is also trustworthy in great ones. If you are not trustworthy with dishonest wealth, how will you be trusted with real wealth? Now, this hits close to home. How often do we look at our financial life as it being in a separate category from our religious or spiritual life? And Jesus says it cannot be that way. He's saying that if we are not honest with our money, how could we be trusted with the things of the spirit? When he says, I tell you, make friends for yourself with dishonest wealth so that when it fails, you will be welcomed into eternal dwelling." He's saying that we cannot expect to say, hey, this is my money that I earned and that I deserved, and this is my religion over here, because our wealth will fail us. We must be good and honest stewards in this life if we expect to be welcomed in the next. We must serve God, not money, for our wealth will fail us, but God will not. And we can say this even more strongly. Everything will fail us. Our money, our bodies, and our minds. But only God will not fail us. Jesus encourages us to manage our financial affairs well by putting them in their proper place. We could say that Jesus is reminding us that things, money, is to be used but not loved. And that God himself and his people are to be loved and not used. Well, does it shock you then to hear that generally speaking, the people who are wealthy are less generous than those who are not? The U.S. Census shows that the people of Mississippi, the poorest state in the Union, are also the most generous in charitable giving. And the cheapest people, Massachusetts, not New York, a very rich state. Well, why? Jesus tells us the reason. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is my treasure? What is in my heart? Do I try to serve both God and mammon? Am I a good and prudent servant of God's gifts to me? You know, most of us here, for most of us, our ancestors came over to this country on a dangerous transatlantic voyage, often in the steerage of a boat. My great-grandmother came over from Ireland as an indentured servant, indentured to a man in Ohio. Her parents were survivors of the great hunger, what's usually called the potato famine, But she had to escape from her master when he told her he would not allow her to attend Sunday Mass. You see, she was a servant who would not serve her master because she chose to serve a greater one. Many of our ancestors lived in crowded tenements. A a great-grandmother on the other side was in the tenements of New York City, and they would have clotheslines strung between the buildings And one day she was hanging the clothes out on the line and fell out the window to her death, leaving her husband and my little grandfather at the time and his older brother. Our ancestors worked in factories and in mills and on farms. They dug the canal that runs through our villages and they laid the ties and the tracks of the New York Central Railway. But they were poor and in their poverty they built churches. They built a Catholic school system unequaled in the world. They built hospitals and universities. They sent their sons off to be priests, their daughters to be nuns, and they married and they had large families. Let them be our parable. Let them be our parable. Let them be our parable. parable. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, because you cannot serve both God and mammon. It's not easy to be a good and faithful servant, but this is what Jesus calls us to be. And we know this, our worldly goods will someday fail us, but God will not. Make his way your treasure, and you will find joy in this life, an eternal glory in the life of the world to come.